0: Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer.
1: On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34.
0: On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34.
1: These are the stories of what happens afterwards.
0: This is Afterthoughts. Alice May Perkis.
1: Toby Peach, it's another episode of Afterthought.
0: This is a a, a two-day recording session, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, And we're back for episode two of series five.
0: That is correct. And that is correct. Congratulations, you passed (laughs) that test. You know where (laughs) we are. Um, And we have been having the absolute pleasure of speaking to Jay uh, all the way from Pisa, Uh, yes this afternoon um and it has been so wonderful hasn't it like yes
1: they were such a joy and i'm a a little bit sad though that they didn't speak italian to me at any point i feel like i should have asked them to
0: to you specifically not not to us just to you
1: yes to me yes okay great yeah because um i i think i'd like to speak italian okay (laughs) <laughs> right i've never made any effort to learn
0: no but you'd like yeah what and what's the basis of that is there anything any reason no no okay great fab i'm glad that conversation if you
1: could hard. speak any language what's what language would you speak
0: Uh. well i probably i probably speak chinese
1: chinese really
0: yeah just uh, would i oh i'm saying that of going just because i think it feels to me like One of the most challenging ones. And if I I go, oh, if you're going to give me the magical power to be like, I can speak any, I'm just going to do that. I Um, can hear
1: the dog in the background.
0: Can you? Well, I should tell the listeners, so I am dog-sitting, and I gave uh, the dog a lovely little treat. A little vegetarian little treat. (laughs) Uh, I just thought I'd get that from the pet store just to keep um, him busy. And, uh, yeah, he is that in the background. But we're embracing what Chris Helenga told us, right, which is, you know, just play to your environment. It's all good. The listeners are fine with it. They want to know that Ark is behind me, the dog, uh, <laughs> going away. Now, I, I want to talk about Jay, and we're about to uh, hear Jay's stories. Jay had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, always, uh, like... Like always, like have those connections. The people who have had Hodgkin's lymphomas. It's the thing that I also had. Also, like uh, Jay, Jay relapsed after a year, which is something that I, I, I to, nearly to a year as well. So mm. I, I felt a lot of affinity to these stories, and um, mm. some of them very different to what because uh, mine was a few years ago now. Um, but it was great to hear them. So should we um, pass over to Jay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's just get on with it because there are some absolute treats in here for the listener
0: just like uh, the dog is having <laughs> right now yeah hello everybody and welcome to another episode of afterthoughts and today we welcome jay hello jay
2: Hello Toby. Hi Alice.
1: Hello. And Jay, you are dialing in
0: all the way from Italy.
2: That's right. Yeah. I'm in Pisa at the moment, living living that Mediterranean lifestyle. And so, Jay yeah. remind
0: remind uh, me and and all of this is. What are you doing out in Pisa? What are you doing
2: there? So I'm I'm doing my year abroad um, as part of my degree. So one of my one of my degree subjects is Italian, um, and we have to we have to take a year out essentially to just live with the people and learn the language. Um, at the moment, I'm studying uh, a wide variety of random random things like uh, history polish and arabic um uh, i won't i'd rather not discuss how they're both going um but i'm also teaching english um which is something i've recently taken on and i'm absolutely loving it um and it's definitely it's it's a nice little moment for me in my language learning journey because i'm now on the other side really so uh i'm kind of doing a bit of everything but uh yeah it's, it's all going it's all good
1: What an amazing spread of languages to be learning Italian, Polish and Arabic. I know,
2: it's crazy, isn't it? Do you know, I actually moved, I moved to Pisa from Bologna. So previously I was in Bologna for the first semester and I was learning Chinese there. So I'm really doing this thing at the moment where I'm pretending that I am uh, Duolingo, the language learning app um because I just want to acquire as many ling- languages as possible um and yeah that's that's essentially something that I'm working on in my in my spare time
0: um so Jay we always <laughs> kick off with quickfire questions um they're not particularly quickfire but we'll try our best so don't it's, it's us that slow it down because we're like oh interesting can I ask you more about that yeah. um but uh, are you ready for the quickfire questions I am absolutely ready
1: Great. Um, Jay, what pronouns do
2: you use? I use they, them as my pronouns. Jay, who do people say you look like? Oh, goodness me. Well, at the moment, I haven't really got many comparisons. But when I was a lot younger and I didn't have a beard, people did used to say that I looked a little bit, or at least I reminded them a bit of Tom Daly, the diver. Perhaps I see it. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad you both agree because I've said this before and uh, well I mean it's neither here nor there anyway, but people have, have been like, oh actually, yes, I really get it. Or people have been like, Oh, you wish, you know. So uh <laughs> um yeah, once upon a time I did I did look very different, um, but hopefully I've still got a little bit of that. Uh a little yeah, bit of...
1: I can see it around the eyes. Yeah. And the cheekbones.
2: Okay, well that, that makes me feel uh, a lot better. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Um, what is your most used emoji?
2: Oh, my goodness. At the moment, it's the panda. Um, yeah, I, I, well, the thing is, I, I did a trip to Ikea really recently, um, and, like, you know, we... In, we'd found this this Ikea in Pisa and it's a little bit out there and we decided we were all going to do a big group trip there and we'd just moved into our apartments so we had loads of things to buy but the only thing I actually bought was a panda plush toy because I just thought this forget everything else you know I can sort out like my bedding at, at a later date I'm in a rush I'm just going to get this panda steady so it's become a bit of a meme at the moment and like you know I wear a lot of black and white and like I always like have this panda when I'm posing and like my Instagram story And so, yeah, I guess that's kind of, that's my emoji at the moment, the panda emoji. I'm
0: living for that. That is
2: amazing.
0: (laughs) So great. (laughs) Uh, Jay, what's your biggest pet peeve?
2: Oh...
0: What you got?
2: Know, yeah. messy messy people I I'd probably say messy people my pet peeve is messy people I've lived in so many apartments like you know in Italy and like in like at home in the UK and just you know something that really just winds me up is when when people just don't like just just keep their apartments in such a messy messy situation and I can't really cope with it to be honest so I uh luckily my uh my room is all neat and tidy and that's uh, that's what keeps me going but uh, yeah I'd say I'd say mess generally and i have things in order.
1: Love that, yeah. <laughs> um, if you could bake any cake, what cake would you bake?
2: I would bake the only cake that I know how to make, which is a raspberry and white chocolate cake, which sounds very elaborate, but actually it's really simple. And the reason I know how to make this is because once upon a time for someone's birthday, um, I really wanted to make a cake, and I just went on Facebook, and I found this video of someone just throwing things in a bowl, and I just thought, I'm going to go for this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that my chosen cake will be a raspberry and white chocolate cake because it's easy to make, but it's also pretty bougie, and it and it sounds, you know. A little bit exquisite. It
0: does sound a little bit <laughs> exquisite. Like, delicious. I really want it as well. That's one of my favourite mixes. Raspberry yeah. And chocolate. Oh my God. Um, what film has made you laugh
2: the loudest? Um, I would say Mrs. Doubtfire. Without a doubt. This yes. film, we, we... Oh my goodness. So there are three of us now. Uh, I have two siblings. And all, all three of us just grew up with this film. Um, and actually like, you know, if ever I, whenever I go home or if I see my brother, he'll always get me to sort of um, do impressions of Miss Fire, and we just kind of can quote every scene like off by your heart, you know, the fast <laughs> bit in the beginning and uh, yeah, so I just think it's genius, you know, I just think it's just the best film ever and it just really, it made me absolutely scream when I was, when I first watched it, I was much younger.
1: <laughs> it's so good I so often do the impression do your best impression of a hot dog
2: oh that's it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I do it so often oh so um, big
1: question very important and there is a correct answer um, friends or how I met your mother
2: friends <gasps> oh are you both on either side yes we are there is and a
0: that, divide there is a divide and um, oh, no. we, we won't reveal what the score is at the moment Will <laughs> but it is uh, yeah that's it's I'm glad uh, <laughs> that you've fallen yeah. on my side or the friend's side I'm <laughs> so <sorry.
2: laughs> yeah oh sorry Alice yeah I've got us friends friends <laughs> <Nice. laughs> right. is a banger
0: um, and Jay could you give us a kind of a one-line uh, summary of your diagnosis
2: please Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 19, I was diagnosed with uh, advanced Hodgkin lymphoma, and then I relapsed a year afterwards, had a stem cell transplant, and now I'm on the other side.
0: So this series on Afterthoughts, we thought that before we dive into after, we're just going to touch in on before. So Jay, we just wanted to hear your diagnosis story in a short snippet.
2: Okay, so I, at the time, was 19 and I was at university, and in typical J fashion, I was doing far too many things. I was teaching dance, I was studying, I was working, I wasn't sleeping, and I was just very run down in general. So when I first started to get ill and I started to get a little bit under the weather in uh, September 2016, not that I've memorised that uh, date specifically, um, I didn't really think too much of it. I, you know, I I started to get some swollen uh, lymph nodes, which is obviously, well, a lot of the time can be a common symptom of of lymphoma, Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, And I just went in and I just said, well, uh, this doesn't feel right um and you know i feel a little bit i feel a little bit sort of worn down in general not very well um my nurse essentially said well um uh, it might not be anything just sort of like wait on it we'll do some blood tests and uh just you know come back later and we'll tell you how things are going and they got back to me um quite soon and they said you've just got you've just got low iron for now that's all we can really see and i just thought ah oh, brilliant i'll just eat some spinach like you know this is this is fine. And I, you know, I stopped checking my neck and I still continue to do the absolute most, which I won't recommend doing, uh, when you have undiagnosed cancer. Um, and a few months later, I started to get new problems. Uh, I started to get just, I got like a really gross sort of yeast infection, um, in my mouth. Um, I started to have night sweats and I was losing like loads of weight and a lot of sort of typical symptoms really of Hodgkin lymphoma but essentially things weren't improving. Um, And this time I I decided that actually something was going on. So I carried that and I went in again. And I said, "Um, so, um, you know, it's me again. Um, You know, I I still have like these sort of lumps. um, And now I'm just not, you know, I'm just knackered and uh, I don't really know what's going on. Like, is there anything else? And, uh, and they just said oh okay um goodness me well let's let's refer you to um let's refer you to a specialist so i went in and uh they you know by this point i was on the the lumps and bumps ward um at the clinic that i'd been referred to so this was you know i guess the first indication that something was uh, a little bit dodgy right and i was at this point no one knew anything um i was sort of googling a lot on my own which is something else i wouldn't recommend doing um but i'd kind of gone in and uh, my nurse, uh, my doctor, sorry, basically given me a little bit of an examination and told me very politely to wait outside, at which point she then left her room and came and sat with me in the waiting room and just said, so if you've got any, uh, if you've got um, any assignments that are, you know, going on at the moment, don't worry about them, Um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna maybe like, I'll write a letter to university just so you can have a bit of an extension um because I I just want to I just want to rule out something um called Hodgkin lymphoma well I think she said lymphoma she didn't specify at the time um and you know we just want to rule it out because you know you're presenting a few sort of symptoms but you know we'll just have a look so I'll book you in for some biopsies Three biopsies later, because classic, you know, we didn't get an answer on the first try. We did like fine needle aspiration, we did like a tiny little um, incision, and then I had the whole, I had one of them just taken out and just little alien. Um, and then they finally, gave me the diagnosis when I was in, in, in Affleck's, um, shopping for earrings, uh, with my best friends in Manchester and they rang me and she said, ah, oh, so I can just confirm it is what, um, it's what we thought. And I was just thinking, this isn't what we thought, you know, we never spoke about this. This is what we were ruling out. And uh, she said, yeah, so I'm going to transfer you to this hospital. It is classical Hodgkin in lymphoma I will get you in for some scans and we'll start pretty soon and uh yeah just thank you to the guy in that shop who gave me a whole roll of toilet roll um because I was a little bit of a mess um I mean I was crying I don't mean I was like relieving myself <laughs> um <laughs> and, uh, but I mean both the responses would have been acceptable don't worry um and uh yeah that was really my my diagnosis it was a very long it was very long because as I say I wasn't It was, uh, I didn't tell anyone really about it. And it was only when things started to get pretty bad. And, you know, by the time I was diagnosed, it was pretty much riddled as well. It was like stage four and all of this. And at this point, I kind of told everyone about it. But it was, it was, uh, yeah, that was kind of my diagnosis story.
1: So now that we've got the diagnosis story out the way, we are going to move on to talk about beyond diagnosis, because we tell that diagnosis story so much, but there's so many stories that are beyond that. So, Jay, over to you to hear a story about beyond your diagnosis.
2: Okay, so... Obviously, because I because I relapsed because I've because uh, I ended up having the bugger twice. I kind of have two little parts that I want to talk about. Uh, both of them are, are, are relatively entertaining. Um, the, the first one um, was when I was when I was waiting. Actually, I was awaiting my diagnosis. And as I'd said before, I was kind of dealing with a lot of this uh, on my own because I was hoping in the back of my mind it wasn't what I'd suspected. Um, but essentially, at one point, um, I. I had received a letter through the post in the student house that I was living. And on the letter, um, it had essentially booked me in for a very specific ward. You know, I mentioned before in the Lumps and Bumps Clinic, I'd kind of done a bit of Googling and convinced myself in the moment that it was cancer. Um, And at this point, I was, you know quite naturally i was pretty beside myself um because no one knew about it i didn't really know how to deal with it i was only 19 bless um and i was just crying my eyes out you know when when a child is just you know is just having kind of a tantrum but they're upset as well and they're not breathing and like it's just a, it's very it's it's very that and this was my situation at the time now contextually at the time i was also living with 11 students in this old victorian townhouse in Leamington spa right And it was an absolute, well, it was carnage anyway, notwithstanding the cancer that I was, you know, undiagnosed, undiagnosed cancer at the time. This on its own was enough, right, to send me beside myself because the apartment was always a mess. And I would always be the one in the chat who um, would be very unpopular and essentially say, listen, there's, what's going on? I haven't even, you know, I need a spoon. I just want to have a spoon to eat my cornflakes with. Can someone please wash up the, the pots in the sink? And this one time that I was crying, I was in the kitchen with my letter and my flatmate just walks in and sees me a hot mess. Right. She sees me absolutely just in pieces. And she goes, oh, no, are you okay?" And she looks around and she goes, is it the kitchen? And I just thought this, you know, at this point, at this point, let's just let's just go with it. Like that was just it was just so funny because, you know, I was so taken away from that moment by what she'd said, that it was just so hilarious because she really thought that I was this reaction, you know, I was literally beside myself was because the kitchen was a state. So that really tells you all you need to know about my first diagnosis. That was really sort of what was going on. Now, the second time was a little bit different because when I relapsed prior to it, I had an inkling that I was essentially waiting for bad news because I had a lot of the same, same symptoms the second time around. Um, and quite poetically, it was exactly a year afterwards. Um, but instead of waiting around, we kind of we'd done the stands and we, we were just waiting for for some news, be it bad or good. And we decided so me and my mum, this was to go to Egypt um, because we essentially just wanted to get out. In, in every sense of the word, um, and essentially just have a, an absolute screamer, because we didn't know, we didn't know what was going to happen, um, you know, and we just wanted our last chance, perhaps, of just having a, a good time without being chained to the rhythm again, and so we found ourselves in Egypt, um, and it was a great holiday, um, until one day my nurse rang me on the phone, and she goes, oh, you're right, um, so what are you up to? Um, just checking in, and I was like, "Ah, oh, hi! Um, no, I can't lie. Like I'm having an absolute scream. I'm in I'm in Egypt. You know, I'm just with mom. Um, we're gonna go to the pyramids this week. You know, it's very Instagrammable. Loving it." And she just goes, "Oh, okay. Well, listen. Have a really good time. You know, really enjoy yourself. When are you back?" you know when are you, when are you coming back just incidentally you know and I said oh well uh, you know it's like Tuesday and I said oh, I'm back on I'm back on Thursday and she goes ah okay brilliant how about you come in on Friday um you know just just have a little bit of a chat you know it's been sorry we just have a little bit of a chat it's been it's been a while and uh you know but don't don't worry about anything uh you know and I just essentially hung the phone up and I just thought Well, here we go. Season two, you know, um, let's, let's just get on with it, to be honest. And safe to say the next two days, the last two days of my holiday were just as chaotic as the idea of me being in Egypt with undiagnosed relapsed Hodgkin lymphoma were anyway. So, um, so I guess that was just, it's just, that was my experience. And I guess it's, it's, uh, it's just funny because it was so different to my first experience, but also just as chaotic. So, yeah.
0: Next on Afterthoughts, we are going to look at the invisible impact section. And we think this is an important time for us to bring forward a story that might discuss something we might not see as often. So, Jay, over
2: to you. Brilliant. Okay. So, I think something I'd really like to talk about, and here I will focus on season two of my experience. So, you know, with my relapse, essentially, is the effect that I think. cancer can have on your happiness uh in the long term really um so just briefly to dip back into season one as a recap um I guess when I was going through it I was I was very public with my journey and I was vlogging it and I'd be on Instagram pretty much all the time talking about it I actually had a YouTube series as well where I'd you know be like oh my first ABVD shaving my head all of this um, and, you know, the first time it happens to you, you, you kind of, you just become an inspiration, whether you like it or not. People look to you for advice or they look, at, you know, they look to you as a role model. And at least for me, I didn't mind that the first time it happened because, you know, I was, um, it, was it was a novelty for me, uh, to put it simply. Um, and I was just taking on this, this new role, just letting it run away with me. But then the second time it happened, it, it just kind of, it becomes so humiliating. Because regardless of how much you've been through the first time and how much you big yourself up and you tell yourself sort of positive affirmations and, you know, you live through metaphors, you super glue your life back together for someone to just kind of just drop it on the floor and shatter again. And that was something I think that for the first time with my second, with season two, really did make me think about just my life and my my mental health and my happiness, really. Um, By way of coping, to be honest, at the time, I had actually put together a stand-up comedy piece because I've always been the one to sort of make a joke out of a bad situation. And at the time, I uh, basically opened with my comedy set by saying that I like cancer like I like my men treating me like absolute shit and always coming right back when I've just about got over them. And to be honest, as funny as that is, it really does sum up like the way that this experience had been for me, which is that i had been messed around once and then I'd been sort of like told um, by life, I guess, that, I, you know, things were OK and I'd finally got myself back together. And then I was just plunged again into this, you know, this awful situation and, and, and everything was derailed and I think the thing I just really want to um, communicate here is that, you know, the invisible impact is, is that it, it really does last and it doesn't have to. And actually, at this point now, I'm definitely getting through it still. Um, but I do find myself every now and then, you know, whenever I'm happy, kind of preempting something disappointing to come around. Um, and bite me in, in the ass um, <laughs> because, you know, that is for so long something that was just my defense, my, my defense mechanism, you know, it was self-preservation. I was, I was preempting chaos. So now in Italy, for example, I'm like, oh, I'm living the life of Riley. And it's great having focaccia and aperitivo and Aperol Spritz at 11 in the morning. But, but what's, what's the cost? And actually there doesn't need to be a cost. I am totally all right. And I can allow myself to just relax into it. And that is something really that is something that I have carried through with me from my experience. And uh, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm I'm luckily on the other side finally, but it's uh, it has taken a while, and it's definitely been an invisible impact.
1: obviously cancer happens to the patient but it affects lots of other people around the patient as well and this section is an opportunity for us to talk about those too so jay we would love to hear a story from you about those around us
2: absolutely so my um my journey was uh it really did involve everyone um you know it involved it involved my friends, uh, my family, of course, we're, we're pulled into it, bless them um, against their will. Um, and I guess the first sort of thing I, that I immediately thought when you asked this was that, you know, my brother was so instrumental in my journey. I am so grateful for Joe, his name is, um, for having been there for me because he was my donor. So, you know, I, I literally, I have his blood now, I have his immune system <laughs> um, and, you know, you can't really get more involved than that um he'd sat there for he sat there for two days i think in the end and he was just there just on this pump having all of his blood sucked out of him and i just really i just i can't i can't i'll never be able to repay him really for that and i just i'm thank, i'm so thankful for joe for for doing that for me um and you know it's uh, it's something that i'm just i'm so blessed to have and uh so this is i guess a shout out for joe now, second thing I wanted to do was talk about my sister. Now, I um, I'm the middle child, so which I don't know if that's a surprise or not, basically. But uh, there are three of us in our in our family. Uh, there's Joe, there's me, and there's Eleanor, my our older sister. Okay, bless her. So when I was when I was younger, I was I was a chaotic child. Like I was very um, I was an attention seeker. I was always performing. It was always about me. It was always in the limelight. Um, and my brother and my sister were always so patient with me, basically, with, with every situation. And bless her, back in 2017, when I was diagnosed, my sister was coming to the end of her dentistry degree. So this is like five years of just, um, of hell, essentially. Um, you know, she's working at Asaf, and this is a really huge moment for my sister. You know, this is the one thing, really, after our entire childhoods have been about me, for her to have this opportunity. And then I got diagnosed just before she graduated. And I'll just never forget um, when, she, when she basically just turned to us and she just said, you couldn't let me have this one thing about me and you had to make it about you. And I just think that, first of all, sums her up because she's the funniest person I know. But also, I also you know, based on that, I wanted to make take this as an opportunity to make it about Eleanor, my gorgeous... Hardworking, talented, hilarious sister, this is officially about you. And I am sorry for stealing your limelight in 2017 when I went and got cancer.
0: So it's time now to start thinking about the lost conversations. We know that in the cancer community, we're starting to have some more important conversations, but there are lots that are still falling through the cracks. So this is an opportunity to share a story about one of them. Jay, over to you.
2: Absolutely. So, a lost conversation um, I think I, I would like to, to begin and, and talk about here um, is one I, I wish someone had had with me uh, when I was going through my experience, essentially. And, and that is regarding this idea that everything happens for a reason. Um, this is a phrase that I think a lot of people hold on to, um, or a lot of people are, are told about when they're going through their own journeys. Um, and for a while, it, it kept me going, and it was something that I, I really, you know, tried to to understand and live by at the time. You know, I'm I'm going through adversity, but there's a reason for this. It's going to make me stronger, for example. Um, uh, but it was it's not always like this. Um, and actually, with with my second, um, especially with with the second sort of season of my experience, stuff started to get a lot more ugly. Um, you know, I. For a while, I wasn't I wasn't really getting anywhere with treatment. And even before my transplant, I was very worried that I wasn't even going to get into remission to begin with. Um, I was going through so many different lines of treatment. And there was a time where, you know, it was just it just came at the right time that this one drug was passed um, on the NHS. And this is what got me into into remission at the time. And so, you know, I was, I was already going through this, but I neglected this. I neglected my experience because at the time I was still alive. And, you know, I had friends at the time who were dying or people who had been there at the beginning of my um of my journey, season one. And they sadly hadn't made it um, because they'd had their own cancers and they they weren't there anymore. And so I, I ended up feeling a little bit of, of, of survivor's guilt and, and looking back to this idea that everything has a reason. Um, to put pressure on myself and just carry on living living this life and and just going through it and just, you know, trying to, well, reminding myself that I was lucky for what had happened. And now on the other side, when I'd when I'd had my transplant, I, I again carried this through. I was like, I've had I've had two chances. I, you know, I've not just had cancer once and you know, I've been I've been let off, I've had it twice. You know, I'm i really need to make the most of this because so many people haven't got this chance. But in doing this, I gave myself far too much to deal with. Um, you know, I went, I went back to uni way too soon. Yeah, you know, I was like six months post-transplant. It hadn't even been a year. Um, and against all of the all of the wishes of, of my nurses, I just was so determined I was gonna do it um, because I was carrying all of this uh, survivor's guilt. But then, you know that year was rough and i i, I went through uh, i went through a lot as well physically and uh you know i got i got gvhd which essentially really messed with uh, with my body physically but also mentally because i then as a result ended up with hypothyroidism which just sent my mental health spiraling for for months because it wasn't even diagnosed uh until sort of it was too late and i really needed to get on hypo uh get on levothyroxine um so, you know, this was a lot that I could have basically done with um, having time to deal with because I didn't give myself that time. And so I really just wanted to finish off this conversation that, like, I really wish I'd had with myself back then, which is that it's actually OK to set yourself free from the burden of living for everyone else who didn't make it. You know, this could so easily have been you. We are all, you know, we are all in this situation. We all have our different journeys, but it's it's an awful thing to happen to anyone um so it, it's really important to just, just, just think about yourself you know and that's not a selfish thing and uh, i just really wish i'd known that at the time
1: and now on afterthoughts we're going to talk about some of the things that happen to you when you're a person who's had cancer that might not happen if you're a person who hasn't had cancer in this section not your average so over to you jay
2: so something i my immediate thought really with this is that i should probably list things that i'm i'm grateful for that i think i probably wouldn't be as grateful for had i not had this experience uh so i guess i'm gonna talk about um taking a shower right this is something that i just i just will never ever take for granted again um just the idea that i can just stand under a shower head and just let the water run over me without. Any sort of problems, uh, any anxiety or anything like that. Now, the story for this is that when I was uh, when I was in uh, when I'd relapsed, um, I became an inpatient for the first time because previously I'd always been on the day ward, um, and I just had cannulas in my hand, and no one had told me um, like really what the treatment was going to be, uh, what it was going to consist of, because the priority was just getting me in as soon as possible. Um, and I guess you know it's not something I begrudge anyone for, um, but I think at the time I was just put on this uh, on this treatment regimen, um, and I'd read sort of like what it involves, but I didn't know how invasive it would be of like my personal space. <laughs> and essentially, this one regimen I was on, uh, E-sharp, um, absolute bastard, um, I was logged on to for a whole week at a time each time, and I wasn't disconnected from this chemo pump right. So I, you know, regardless of whether I was sleeping or like showering or like, you know, having a wee, like I was always connected to this chemo pump. Now, the thing I could have done with having preparation for was this line, this Hickman line that I had inserted into my chest. And if you don't know how this works, it essentially just is a little tube that goes into your heart. And it just makes it so much easier for nurses to kind of draw blood uh, or give you chemo right? And I was like, yeah, fine. Like just, I'll just deal with it. But it was just such a pain for me because I was never disconnected from this chemo machine. And so I had this thing just hanging out of my chest. In the end, it was in for about, um, it was in for about eight months. It was a long time I had it in for. um, And I was just not prepared for it. And so the reason, the thing with the shower is that when I was on eShop and and I had no idea how long I was going to be on for, And my nurses would be like, oh, well, you know, just just put a bag, just put a bag over the over the chemo machine. So I was there with Frederick, which is the name I gave to my chemo machine, who would just beep in the middle of the night like a newborn baby. Um, I basically wrapped it in this bag and tried to sort of like make it watertight. And I was there with this lion hanging out on my chest completely, like I was being nuked as well at the time. So my mind was just all over the place and I'm just carrying this chemo pump and having a shower. And I just remember being so paranoid of like, you know, it pulling out or like getting an infection, um, which I then ended up doing twice. I'm very good at infections. I ended up having sepsis twice which meant that I actually had to have it taken out and then put right back in, which was awful, actually, because it meant that when it was inserted the second time, I had scar tissue there. So it was literally like, regardless of how much anesthetic it had, it was just like, just excruciating. And anyway, I finally got this, you know, Frederick, I was finally disconnected from this pump. The line was finally taken out when I was on the other side of my transplant. And I just remember the first shower I took, where I just let this water just run over me and I just cried because it was like such a, such a mundane experience, but it became so uh, poignant. It became so, you know, uh, so deep for me. You know, I was like doing something that we all do like from day to day. um, And I just, I was just so grateful to be able to have a shower, Um, you know, and uh, it was just, that's just something I'll, I'll never, I'll never take for granted again. And, and, And by extension of that, I always make a point now about, sleeping on my front um you know before i kind of always like slept on my side and like you know I'd I'd cut like my duvet between my legs and like curl up like this but now I just I never do that I just have to regardless of how tired I am I always have to sleep right on my front because like I'm just that spiteful um and and that's that's really (laughs) something I'll take away that I guess is is not an average experience um so this is not my average experience
0: So it's coming to the last section of afterthoughts, and I'm really excited to dive into the Don't Laugh section because we've, we've been laughing quite a lot already. Um, but the Don't Laugh section is really important as it's a chance for us to look at the fact that there are lots of um, heavy stories, but there are also light stories that come with it. And we've seen, and we've heard lots of those moments as well throughout today's episode. So Jake, over to you for the
2: Don't Laugh section. Okay, so first of all, you're not allowed to laugh. Um, second of all, I want <laughs> I want to talk about an experience of mine that I had actually just before I started treatment. So my uh, my my experience is all about my trip to the sperm clinic where I went before I I started my treatment, and as a result of it, now I have about uh, I can't even remember fifty thousand frozen kids in a freezer somewhere in Manchester. Um, now my experience was just it was hilarious from the beginning. First of all, you know not only have you got a sort of like jizz in a cup um, and that on its own just feels bizarre because like it's so, um, what's the word? It's just such a, it's such a sterile experience. Like it's so formatted and you just have to go in this room and do this. But the reason it was funny for me personally was because I deliberately sort of tried to ham it up and make it really camp. Now this will make sense in a second. But essentially, prior to going to the sperm clinic clinic, I had some acrylic nails put on and this was a treat that like I'd, I'd kind of gifted myself because I was going through something and I was like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to have nails again but I'm sat there signing these forms with these big like f off like gold glittery nails and I'm tapping them on the desk deliberately trying to hand it up because I just had the slightest feeling that this experience was going to be I don't know. Like it wasn't. It wasn't an experience that I think, as a queer person, I was well equipped for. Because, like you know, typically people go to the fertility clinic because, you know, well, I can't really say typically, but one of the reasons people go is to have a child, for example, Mm -hmm. um, with you know their significant other or whatever. I was opening my options, and this potentially might be something that I wanted to do, but it wasn't necessarily you know something that was in 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 my mind at the time. And I just thought if I obviously present myself in a really camp and queer way I'm going to sort of bypass all of like the random sort of questions like that I didn't need to be answering I was already sort of de- dealing with a lot right so I sat there and I'm tapping these acrylics on the desk and I'm just like <laughs> oh yeah so like how does it work then go on and she's like oh so um well first of all um have you got have you got a partner and I was like oh god god I wish you know what you're trying to say like sort of thing like just really over the top you know tapping my nails I'm pretty sure as well the signature I gave is not a reflection of my actual signature it was so obviously like flamboyant I did like a little flick of the wrist when I did it <laughs> um you know and she was she was saying so have you thought about this procedure and before she would even finished talking I'd be like oh god yeah mad for it like just saying all of this just nonsense essentially she takes me into the room right and let me just reiterate I obviously made myself very camp very queer okay get into this room which is just hilarious anyway, because as an examination chair, you know, I'm sure I I think people have spoken about this before, but it's just a very hilarious um, environment. And you're just locked in there. um, And, you know, you've only got one job to do. But before she leaves, I'll also add, add that she was camp as hell as well. She had a blunt blob and bangs for days. And this just added to the whole experience for me. Like that was that gave me life right there. But anyway, she's just about to leave just Pops her head around the one around the chair, the door, she's leaving, and just goes, Oh, by the way, as well, um, there's some material in that first drawer if you want to use it, you know, give it hand. And I just thought, Oh, my giddy aunts, right? Okay, let's have a look. And I, you know, it's nice, that's uh, it's a nice uh, very thoughtful of her. So I opened the drawer, oh my goodness, right? I opened this drawer, you know, I was really hesitant, I had no idea what was going to be in there. And do you know what I saw? Big. Busty babes. <laughs> Listen, I'm not judgy, like I'm not a judgmental person, but something's wrong there in it, darling. Like that. Imagine my experience. I go in there, I'm tapping the desk, I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, chum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, work, like all of this, and then big, busty babes, don't piss me off. No, no, not now. You know, <laughs> babes. Honestly, I mean I got the job done because I actually went prepared with my own material, but this has been I've no idea did, what was going have, on. You have to hand it back as well. So did, did Oh my you goodness, yes, you have to leave. You have to leave and go into the waiting room with this clear bag <gasps> with your with your with your sperm in this bag, right? bless her is another shout out for eleanor eleanor was there as well at the time and she was just sitting there like oh, so, uh, did you get it done then and i'm like yeah don't don't look at me don't it handed over it's very public as well i don't know whether it's different in other clinics but mine was everyone was bloody there you know and i just handed it over and they were like so we're gonna go and look under a mic and uh, we'll let you know in a bit so i'm sat there and they come back and they're like You've done really well, and I'm like, <laughs> what does what does that mean? She's like, well, you know, normally we freeze about five to six files, but we've got twelve healthy ones of yours, oh. and I just thought, <laughs> it was those oh big well, busty babes, they're literally, literally. the <laughs> big busty babes saved my marriage. Like that was it. Like um, that's really my that's my experience, um, and I guess that set a precedent for the entire two seasons, really, of what I was about to embark on. But yeah, Jay. But
0: Wow. Thank, thank you so much. I, I have actually, I don't think I've, I don't think I've cried during a don't last section before, but I did just cry a little bit. So I don't know what got me there, but also thank you so much for two seasons. Like, wow, two oh. seasons. I love it. I love it so much. What an incredible set of stories.
1: So great. So, funny and moving and just like to me the epitome of what Afterthoughts is about yeah, oh. just like Ace, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories and just being part of Series 5 of Afterthoughts.
2: Yay! Thank you so much for being so wonderful and accommodating and I'm um, really grateful to have this experience.
1: So that was Jay.
0: Uh, uh, like, wow, right? Yeah. Wow yeah so i mean so good at telling stories and i just felt like i was like there were so many times when i was like taken to these places and we were saying um, afterwards to jay about how a lot of these things we'd kind of like forgotten a bit mm-hmm. and then you suddenly hear this nugget and that's the wonderful thing about stories right i don't want to like shout about stories too much but it's a wonderful thing of suddenly they take you and you go oh yeah i forgot about the shower mm. also, about can, the- he,
1: can you never use the word nugget again
0: Nugget? No, I'm fine with nugget. No, it's horrible word. Horrible. Oh.
1: Um, but yeah, you're right, and I think that that is the power of stories. They connect you to people and to moments and to experiences, and yet yeah, they are just fantastic. And Jay was, a, Jay just is a natural-born storyteller who can mm. just transport you with their words and their yeah stories and I I think they've got a gift and uh, it's something that they should harness and I mean they're busy learning languages but they they could do whatever they wanted when it came Mm. to telling stories.
0: Um, So Alice um, tell me what are your afterthoughts on today's afterthoughts?
1: Oh I was particularly Uh, I found the section, the Lost Conversations section, really punchy, actually. Um, And I wrote down, I'm always scribbling away uh, in afterthoughts, Um, and I wrote down two things. Um, It's okay to set yourself free from the burden of living for the people who didn't survive. Oof. Wow. What a sentence. Um, And you don't have to take responsibility for everyone else. All right, bloomin' Jay. Gosh, get to the point, why don't you? Like, just, I just thought that that was, they were two fantastic sentiments, and um, Jay said to us as well, after we were recording, um, that they you know they hoped that people would understand that they weren't like preaching or and it was their experience and that was their perspective and I just love that kind of self awareness that they had and just so wise and wise but not preachy which which i think is a uh, a very fine line to tread um but yeah i just those those two those two sentences really landed with me and i just yeah I, I i really liked what they were saying about that lost conversation that it was one that they wished they could have had with themselves yeah um a few years ago and that's something that really you know, resonates with me. And it's something that I hope we can do with Afterthoughts because I do at times wish somebody could have had a conversation with me and saved me a lot of heartache that I've had. And, you know, I hope that that's what we're doing. Sometimes we're we're giving people a life vest and providing them with some of the conversations we wish we'd had um with
0: ourselves and yeah and I think I, I think and, and it's that thing of the importance of hearing stories from continuing to hear stories right and hearing like these different like the the stuff like the fact of going we, we both had Hodgkin's lymphoma Jay, Jay and myself but like mm. and there are lots of similarities in the like the mm. way that the process but t- like lots of different things happened and the importance yeah. of going, there might be a, a young person going through that experience right now who is like, if I was to tell you my my story, they might not connect with it in the same right. way they've just connected to Jay's. And I think that's really important, that thing of going, it, the representation really matters, right? Of right. going, well, and, and for me, to, to offer my... Uh, 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 afterthoughts on today's episode of Afterthoughts. Oh,
1: what a lovely segue. Thank you
0: so much ask. I was, was going
1: like, to ask you that question. I
0: know, I know. But I, like, I do think... I, I, and I You know I, I was literally just crying with laughter at uh, the last section and things. Yes. But it was that thing of like the... W- we've heard lots of stories, I think, of... Uh, we have had a few stories of men talking about going to the sperm bank. And I think... But I think sometimes... Well, we have had a lot of um, heterosexual men talking about right. going to the sperm bank and I was absolutely cracking up but it also did bring up this thing of going oh actually yeah that different experience of going to that place where that is uh, like where it is set up for a heterosexual man yeah. um, and what that might yeah f- feel like to go into that space where it's not set up uh, yeah. Where, yeah and Again, I laughed I laughed so much during that, but it also did land, land with me in that other way as well. And I think that's kind of the importance of going, well, actually, then we really hope that somebody might hear this story and go, oh, actually, maybe we need to think about not just pointing towards big busty babes. <laughs> uh...
1: <laughs> I think I'm going to be laughing about big busty babes for ages, but I loved how Jay, like, leaned into their um character and their identity when they were in that space that they yeah. knew wasn't set up for them um but i yeah i hope that um hearing that story helps um other people feel um safer in that space if, if that's the right thing for them to do um but yeah you're right we, we've never had anybody tell a story about being in a fertility um clinic as as a queer person and yeah so thank you to jay for sharing that story with us because i think it's so important
0: and we are hoping to have more brilliant stories that share the diverse experiences of having cancer at a young age in the rest of the series. So I'm not new too bad with these links at the moment, am I, today? So uh, it is uh, time to say goodbye to our listeners uh, to thank Jay again, to thank Alice May Perkus.
1: Thank you to Toby and uh, goodbye to our listeners and goodbye to ARC.
0: The crunching dog in the background. It was munching away on the treat. What a treat it was. Yeah. Thank you, Jay.
2: Goodbye. Bye.
0: If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about we really recommend grabbing a couple with a friend or dropping them a message. There are tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support.
1: Afterthoughts is supported by Trekstock and alike. If you've been diagnosed with cancer in your 20s or your 30s, whatever type, whatever stage, Trekstock will help get you moving, get connected and create the life you want beyond your diagnosis. Alike is a game-changing peer support platform because living with cancer can be lonely. Speaking to others who've been there, done that and worn the unflattering hospital gown makes all the difference. Alike is powered by friendship.